has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope. And there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Major League pitchers like Chris Carpenter of the St. Louis Cardinals, Boston Bruins defensiveman Adam McQuaid, and musician Isaac Hansen have all suffered from a condition known as thoracic outlet syndrome. Compression of nerves, or or sometimes blood vessels, cause narrowing between the base of the neck and the armpit, and this is known as a thoracic outlet. This causes pain in the neck, shoulders, and arms, numbness in the fingers, and muscle spasms in the upper back. Neck trauma, whiplash injury, and even common things like keyboard typing and computer use can all trigger this syndrome that may affect up to 8% of the population. What's staggering is that those with the most common form, which is called neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, can have lives just as impaired as those with chronic heart failure. On today's show, we'll hear how Rachel, a law enforcement professional, has overcome disabling hand numbness, weakness, and neck pain that jeopardized her job and left her hopeless. And then noted surgeon and thoracic outlet syndrome expert, Dr. Julie Freischlag, discusses who's at risk, the surgical treatments, and delves into an exciting approach to treating this condition using Botox that I myself have helped to pioneer. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Atlantis Health Group, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Rachel's a 36-year-old law enforcement professional. She developed thoracic outlet syndrome over two years ago that led to debilitating hand numbness and weakness. She thought she'd never get her life back, but did, and she's here to tell us how. Rachel, welcome to Aches and Gains. Hi, thank you. First, tell us about how you developed thoracic outlet syndrome. I believe I developed it through typing, repetitive movement. I type typically about six hours every day. Wow, that's a lot of typing. And, and did you did it happen spontaneously, or did it take a period of time before you developed the symptoms? No, I woke up, everything seemed normal, and I reached for something and just realized my hands had gone. Com- my my left hand had gone completely numb. Wow. Um, I was having trouble lifting things. I was dropping things. Mm. Uh, it was scary. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds really scary. Uh, Rachel, did you have any pain in the hand or the arm? I never really had a lot of pain in the, in, until after surgery. And how about symptoms in other parts of the, the hand or the arm or, or even the neck? Um, sometimes up into my forearm. Yeah, it was ma- mainly my, hand, my left hand, mm-hmm. my fingers, my pinky finger. Yeah. My hand was starting to turn blue a little bit. The strength. Was, was obviously going away. I was having trouble picking things up, grasping. Well, I mean, Rachel, how did you compensate for, for the deficit? With my other hand, with my elbow, just <laughs> grabbing things and, uh-huh. 
you know, using my elbow against my body, against my rib cage, and trying to open things, holding things in between my knees. You work with what you have. Right, indeed you do. How did it affect your life at work? It was hard to type. It was hard to lift things. It was hard to have people understand that, um, you know, it really was, there was something actually wrong and that I, you know, I wasn't just not typing. It was that I was having trouble with typing. That's right, and that you weren't imagining it. How bad did it get? Uh, I did reach the the point where I was uh, just using one finger and trying to do as much as I could with my right hand. Oh, wow, that must have been tough. Well, and how about at home? I mean, what happened to your home life? I had a lot of trouble with blow-drying my hair. I learned to blow-dry my hair with my knees. Oh. I would sit and blow-dry my hair with my knees uh-huh. as much as I could, opening jars. It kind of sounds silly, but pushing the grocery cart across the concrete yeah. would absolutely make my hand crazy mm. because the vibration with the concrete was just... It was just something I couldn't do. Yeah. And I stopped driving with my left hand because I couldn't grasp the steering wheel. What's amazing is how many physical losses occurred uh, as a result of the thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, Rachel, uh, did it compromise your job? I mean, were you worried about losing your job? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a valid concern. Um, yeah. I, my bosses knew immediately that there was an issue, mainly because I was frightened. Sure. You know, when I realized I couldn't feel my hand, something was going on. It, it was scary. It is scary. And I think a lot of my patients who are still working are concerned about revealing that they have pain to their bosses for fear that they may lose their job. And that must have had some impact on you emotionally. I mean, how, how did it? It's depressing when your life changes. I was used to running a lot. Yeah. I realized that running was, was definitely starting to bother me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I ran often, I ran marathons, and I just had to stop because I realized it could be a trigger, and I didn't want to trigger anything. I was trying to keep things, I didn't want to have surgery. I was trying to keep things as low-key as I could. Sure. And how did it affect uh, relationships, your, your relationships with your, with your kids and with your husband? No, it was hard. Um, I, at the time, uh, before surgery, I had a three-year-old, and I wanted to lift her as much as I could, and I really couldn't because I didn't want to drop her. Well, what did you do? Um, you just do what you can. My husband was great. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that um, played a key part in getting through it as well as I did. Yeah, that's great to hear. Rachel, did you ever reach the point where you just lost hope? Yeah, it was scary. I thought I was afraid it was in my mind. Yeah. You know, I had never heard of thoracic outlet. Nobody had ever explained it to me and I, mm-hmm. I didn't understand and I was afraid I was never going to feel my hand I was never going to do the things that I like to do I guess you know once you can pinpoint that this is what it is it, it makes things easier to explain and it makes you not feel crazy I felt like I was losing my mind exactly and a lot of my patients say the same thing because pain is invisible to the eye most of the time and it's only when you achieve a diagnosis that it becomes real to you and to those that you know When we come back from the break, we'll find out how Rachel's condition was diagnosed. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company, committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Atlantis Health Group. Atlantis is a comprehensive multi-specialty physician group committed to enhancing the quality and process of health care delivery across the country. Visit AtlantisHG.com. And we're back. Rachel, tell us, how was the condition of thoracic outlet syndrome actually diagnosed? Uh, Ultrasounds, 
different, uh, I think we had MRIs and x-rays and Doppler testing. There were so many tests. Sure. You know, a lot of patients uh, with thoracic skeletal syndrome have had a lot of testing like EMG, nerve conduction tests, chest x-rays, MRIs, but really the hallmark a means of diagnosing this syndrome is through a thorough history and physical examination. And even more than that, because now we're feeling that uh, an injection of local anesthetic into one of the muscles of the neck called the anterior scalene muscle may be a good way to help confirm the diagnosis of thoracic outlet syndrome and specifically neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. In your case, you had an ultrasound exam of the neck that showed compression of what's called the subclavian artery, and that's why you had the vascular form of thoracic outlet syndrome. In addition, you had the nerve or the neurogenic form of thoracic outlet syndrome because you had compression of the nerves underneath the anterior scalene muscle. And Rachel, what was recommended for treatment after the diagnosis? I tried physical therapy, took different medications. Right, and you did a lot of physical therapy. In fact, I think you did it for about twice a week for five months. You tried Motrin and Tylenol, and you made ergonomic corrections at work. I mean, I think you had a new desk uh, placed in your office, and you moved the computer monitor to eye level. Uh, But ultimately, Rachel, what made you decide to have surgery? I wasn't getting better. I didn't want to live like that. I wanted to feel my hands again. I wanted to be able to function. Mm -hmm. It scared me to hear that there was an artery blocked. I think it was out of fear. I I wanted my life back. Yeah, absolutely. After you had the surgery, when did you begin to feel that your symptoms improved? I mean, was was it right after surgery or did it take a while? I did start to feel my hand quickly after the surgery. Uh-huh. It did seem like it took a long time to build the muscle back up, but you could I mean you could look at my hand and see that a lot of the muscle was gone. Yeah. So it took a little while to start to really be able to use it, but I was still having trouble with my neck. I started having pain in my neck. Okay, so the surgery then helped you regain full strength in your hand? It did. It did, and I do have the feeling back in my hand. I bet that was a big relief for you, and that's wonderful to hear. And then what happened? My neck started to spasm. I was having trouble um, just holding my head up. Uh huh. And where specifically did you feel the pain in your neck? Um, kind of right behind my jawbone, mm-hmm. all the way down to uh, my collarbone. It was burning. It was achy. It was shooting. I mean, it was terrible to try to just hold my head up. Um, I walked typically with my ear down towards my shoulder. Wow. Just just to keep the pressure off of that muscle. Wow. I mean, it, it's, it sounds pretty awful, and I wonder how you even functioned. So it's, in summary, you took uh, Soma, which is a muscle relaxant, and oxycodone after the surgery, uh, which were somewhat beneficial. And then you took about six months off from work, but usually I think the surgeons recommend about two to three months, but you had somewhat of a complicated course. And then you did more physical therapy for about four months, which just wasn't beneficial. So tell us, what eventually did help you? Um, My doctor suggested Botox into the scaling muscle, and it was a huge success. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, listen, were you hesitant? I mean, I've had some patients of mine, very few, but some say to me, well, look, you know, Botox is used for cosmetic purposes, for cosmetic enhancements. Well, and I I guess I could understand that, but I was explained that it would essentially kill the muscle and it would stop the spasming, and to me, that just sounded like a great idea. Absolutely, I agree. 
I think I'm the only pain specialist in the country who performs these injections under a CAT scanner uh, at Johns Hopkins, and it's done with a very small, thin needle that's inserted under a CAT scanner into the scalene, or specifically the anterior scalene muscle, and then Botox is injected through the needle into the muscle to help reduce overactive muscles or muscles in spasm and reduce pain. And I've had good results. Rachel, what was it like to have the Botox injections? Quick. It's not really very painful. It's very precise. I don't feel nervous anymore. I'm just glad that the pain is gone. Yeah. It doesn't start to feel better immediately. It takes me about a week, maybe two weeks. Right, right. So typically it takes about two weeks for the onset and and typically lasts at least three months or so. Uh, Rachel, how much relief do you get when you have these Botox injections? It's so dramatic. I can do my daily functions, um, and it's helped me because in between the injections, I've been able to build up the muscles around the scaling. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great to hear that you're able to do more physical therapy that's useful after the Botox injections. So in summary, you, you get about, uh, I think, 90% relief from these Botox injections, and they last about three to four months for you. And Rachel... It's been about a year and a half since the first injection with Botox. How has this changed your life? Oh, dramatically. I can work out. I've been able to lose some weight that I had picked (laughs) up after the surgery. Um, Uh I'm able to do things. I'm able to lift my child. I'm I'm able to type and do my my work that I have to do. Uh, I can grocery shop alone. You know, it's just things that you just take for granted that I wasn't able to do. I can hold my head up. That is wonderful news. Uh, and I'm really happy to hear that you're, a lot of your life is restored. And I know also that you're, you're able to, you've been able to return to work. And, that, um, and that's fantastic. In retrospect, what would you have done differently? Oh, uh, maybe had the surgery sooner. Yeah. I just felt like maybe I was doing more damage by waiting. And finally, for those in your situation, I mean, what would you, what, what should they do? I mean, is there hope? I think so. I don't know where I would be right now if it hadn't been for the Botox injections and, and this muscle relaxing. That's fantastic to hear. And Rachel, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Thank you. Up next is Dr. Julie Freischleg, expert in the diagnosis and surgical treatment of thoracic outlet syndrome. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their homes. Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Dr. Julie Freischlag is the Surgeon-in-Chief, Chair of the Department of Surgery, and the William Stewart Halstead Professor at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. She's a recognized expert in the diagnosis and surgical treatment of thoracic outlet syndrome. Dr. Freischlag, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here today. We've worked together for, gosh, I think about eight years on treating neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. Give us a general description of what that is. Well, neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome is a spectrum of complaints by patients that have to do with their arms. And it can be varied, but the majority of them have numbness and tingling that goes down their arms, when, especially when they use their arms above their head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be when they do repetitive motion activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as much pain as uh, in their arms as there is numbness and tingling, but they can have pain in their neck along the area of a specific muscle, which is the anterior scalene muscle, which is the posture muscle in the neck. And that muscle gets tense either for one or two reasons. One, because they do have an occupation 
that's chronic repetitive motion, such as a welder or car mechanic or a nurse, mm-hmm. or it can be related to an accident where they get a whiplash-type injury, say, in a car uh, accident or something falls on them or something where causes that muscle to go into spasm and causes numbness and tingling down the arm. Right, exactly. And we think that there's compression of a group of nerves that are called the brachial plexus that lie underneath that anterior scalene muscle in the neck that leads to the symptoms that you just described. And Julie, tell us about the other two forms of thoracic outlet syndrome. Yeah, there's venous form where the vein actually forms a clot, and those patients are a little different. They tend to be athletes or musicians or people that use their arms and their neck over a period of time and has that muscle, the scaling muscle, get bigger, and actually the vein itself uh, clots, and then they present with a massively swollen arm, which is different than the chronic pain. Uh, those are about 3% of all people with, neuro- with thoracic outlet neurogenic is over 90%. And arterial? Yeah, arterial is rare, but they tend to be related to people with extra ribs. So you'll hear about cervical ribs. And those patients, that rib itself pushes on the artery to either cause it to clot or cause it to form an aneurysm where it will dilate and either that clots or throws clots down the arm. Mm-hmm. So almost all of those patients have an extra rib that's fused to the first rib that pushes on the artery over time. Yeah, you know, and most of these cases, that is what, 95 to 98% of them are neurogenic or nerve-caused, uh, and rather than caused by any problems with blood vessels. Now, some of the neurogenic may have a little bit of the artery being irritated because the artery and nerve sit right next to each other, yeah. but mainly it's just a nerve pain, neuromness, uh, weakness in that arm, inability to use the arm, Uh, the way you want to do it. And so that's why it's neurogenic. I think it's important also to highlight uh, some of your work that's shown us that if untreated, quality of life for those with neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome can be as impaired as those with chronic heart failure. Absolutely. And we actually did that using certain instruments Mm -hmm. to show that patients especially because they tend to be young, their average age is in their 30s, that they want to be active and they can't go do what they want to do. Because they can't, they actually limit what they do or they can't work or they actually aren't happy in their lives because they can't do what they want to do. That's really true. And a great example is our previous guest, Rachel, whose life was completely turned around from uh, neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. And yet, uh, Julie, the diagnosis is still controversial. Why? Well, part of it is people um, complain of pain and discomfort, mm-hmm. and many of the tests we do are all negative. So you would get imaging, say, an MRI or x-rays of the neck or the shoulder, and they'll be negative. Yeah. Even nerve tests, such as EMGs or nerve conduction velocities, they tend to be normal as well. So any objective criteria tends to be negative. It's mainly the history when you talk to the patient about why they developed the symptoms, and then your examination, looking at that scaling muscle, having them use their hands above their head, those kind of things that tell you, yes, this could be that. Also, a lot of them are women, and many people uh, are loathed or slow to think that there's some 
issue with a young woman with pain and discomfort and sometimes attribute it maybe for psychological issues yeah. and not really do some uh, physiological issues due to neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. Right. You know, I think the diagnosis is, is still controversial because it's a complex disorder. There's no definitive test that confirms the diagnosis, as you mentioned, but we've used and I've used specifically anterior scaling blocks under CT guidance to help confirm the diagnosis with, with success and help predict who will do well with surgery or respond to Botox injections. And let me ask you, uh, you know, I've had many women too that I've seen with uh, neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome who do tell me that, you know, it's been years and years uh, since they've had the syndrome and have not had a complete diagnosis. Women are three to four times more likely to have this syndrome than men. Why is that? Probably the women have it more because that space where the nerves come out of the neck into the arm is smaller Mm -hmm. uh, for women and therefore they get more of this when they do have an accident or have chronic repetitive motion. So because of their size, they get it more often. And I think that's where it gets uh, underdiagnosed in women. I agree. I think it's actually often overlooked and even misdiagnosed. We think that the incidence of uh, this condition is as high as 8% of the population. It's hard to know. I think it is underdiagnosed and whether or not there's a certain percentage. You know, I think it's probably, you know, one to two percent, but we don't know. I actually think people, by and large, are underdiagnosed with this and undertreated. We actually have found, too, if you have symptoms for a longer period of time, say five to ten years, you're more likely not to get better by the time we see you because you're debilitated. So early diagnosis is really essential because, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, is the first line of treatment is conservative uh, with physical therapy. So a lot of people could be just uh, cured without any uh, interventions at all besides that. Right. You know, I've noticed in time that I'm seeing more and more patients who develop this syndrome from using computers in non-ergonomic postures for extended periods of time. Yes, and they do, especially if they're not in a good position at the computer. We know you need to have your feet flat on the floor. You have have to have a good chair with good backs support. Uh Your arms need to be supported as well, too. So if you have all of those things not correct, you actually can sort of hunch over the computer and your shoulders go forward. And that actually can cause compression of the nerves and cause the numbness and tingling. Yeah, I think that's uh, an excellent point to bring up, given that more and more of us are using computers for long periods of time today. By the way, the anterior scalene muscle is one of the deep muscles of the neck. It attaches to the first rib, it helps a little bit with respiration, and it helps to bend and rotate the neck slightly. Uh, There's the anterior scalene muscle, and there's a middle scalene and a posterior scalene muscle. What's intriguing now is that studies have demonstrated that injury to the anterior scalene muscle or the middle scalene muscle is the main factor that causes uh, neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. In fact, I mean, muscle fibrosis, or that is scar tissue, is seen in these scalene muscles when they've been removed. Absolutely. Actually, the case I did yesterday had an amazing scar. And when speaking to her, she had had an accident years ago off a skateboard, and she also worked at a bank. And there was tremendous scarring in that area around the muscle and around the rib. And that's why I've targeted the anterior scalene muscle for diagnostic injections, uh, therapeutic Botox injections, and why you surgically remove part of that muscle, as well as a little bit of the first rib for treatment. Correct, because what that muscle does when it's in spasm, it actually elevates the rib. 
So it actually pulls it up and irritates the nerves. So injections into that muscle with either lidocaine like Novocaine or uh, Botox, which relaxes the muscle, mm-hmm. lets the ribs uh, relax down and not irritate uh, the nerve. And if you do do the injections and then can get the patients into physical therapy, they can actually relax that muscle over time. Similarly, the surgery removes the rib and actually cuts the muscle, achieving the same thing, but certainly is a little bit more of an aggressive treatment for those that fail physical therapy or block. Right. You know, after injecting Botox under CT guidance for several years now, I'm even more excited about this therapy for its pain-relieving benefit for those non-surgical candidates as a bridge to surgery and for those not wanting surgery, even though it's not yet FDA-approved for this condition. And, and Dr. Freischlag, how successful is the surgery? It's about 90% successful with uh, neurogenic thoracic outlet, even a little bit more if the, bi- if the block was positive, a little less in older patients over the age of 40, probably about 85% successful. That's great. Dr. Freischlag, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here today. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.